and welcome back to another episode of The Devil Wears Rossonero, the official podcast of SB Nation's AC Milan Offside. I'm Patrick Stoll alongside Tim Fontenot at Stoll underscore P and at SBN Rossonero is where you can get a hold of us on Twitter. Well, we did it. We got our first win. We one. <laughs> this is a big milestone in the 2019-2020 AC Milan season. We have our first three points in a truly AC Milan-esque victory at home against Brescia. 1-0 win. Just like we drew it up. Just the way we wanted it. Teeth grindingly close. Annoyingly not dominant. But we got three points, and that is what counts. Uh, I don't have a rage-filled rant to start this podcast, which I know might disappoint some of you and hopefully doesn't disappoint my co-host Tim here, but um, I'm I'm not filled with rage and anger and um, snark and frustration. I'm actually happy we got our first win. We didn't look bad, didn't look great, but again... We'll take the three points, we move, we move on, and here we are. Our first points of the season come at home against Brescia, and uh, for all of those who said that Correa would never arrive from Atletico Madrid, survey says you were right, because that man... The whole hardball thing that Milan was playing with Atletico Madrid, which we mentioned last podcast, of the strange negotiations that just must be taking place, um, ended with no no player. It, it just didn't. It just did not happen at all. But we might not have gotten Ang- Angel Correa, but we did get Ante Rebic from Eintracht Frankfurt on a two-year loan with a $25 million option to buy at the end, uh, obligation, excuse me, obligation to buy at the end, with Andre Silva going the other way. So, hasta la vista to our man, uh, who frankly still has an evergreen invitation to come on the podcast, um, Andre Silva, who... Uh, this podcast, I think, unanimously was pretty excited for and just never turned out. But that and Brescia recap, plus a little bit on the international break ahead of us, because in peak Serie A fashion, you start the season, two matches, and you get hammered with an international break, and now there's nothing to watch anymore. And on that note, I'll bring in my man, Tim Fontenot. Tim, how are you, buddy? I'm great, man. I I mean, I wish he had a rage-filled ramp for us, but at the same time, why would you? Three points, new signing, Andre Silva's gone. Not a bad week. Yeah, honestly, I'm as much as I enjoyed the rage-fueled rants, um, and I'm sure there will be many to come, uh, i.e. in uh, one, two, three weeks or so when we take on Inter, um, I'm sure that's just going to be a hot mess. That's just going to be a disaster. And, um, you know, I, I know we are a positivity podcast, but th- let's take a look at ourselves here, folks. That I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I am looking forward to it, but I'm, I'm not looking forward to the result. 
Now, that is going to be a raised field ramp. For now, I will take the win. I will gladly take a reason to not be mad um, because, again, it's going to come. Uh, but for now, you know, 1-0 against Brescia, a, a good win. I would not use the word comprehensive. I would not use the word dominating. I would not use the word professional win. I would not, I mean, I, I would not do, I wouldn't speak too highly of this game um but you know it's very much one of these like well at least that's over and got three points uh the chalanoglu goal header goal coming off a suso cross which i mean the number of times that we're going to say that um from a suso cross uh i think that's going to happen a lot because, uh, frankly, I did see a little bit of Suso ball again. I did see a lot of, like, prey. But I think there was a lot to take away from this that was positive. Uh, number one, Barini didn't start. Always a good sign. Um, Benacer, just, again... I mean, he started this one. He was good. He was, he was, he, I have been impressed by him in his time at the end of the Udinese game and in this match. I like Benacer a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Um, my main takeaway from this game, and I mean, you know, here comes the horse so that we can beat it to death again, right? If we can stop with the Castillejo thing, I mean, oh my god, this guy is actually using, like, he doesn't contribute anything. He's, he is either a traffic cone, or a ghost, or, I, I mean, there are a few words we have left to describe Castillejo, because, and again, I'll own up to it, I was excited when we got him from Villarreal. Uh, I thought that he was going to add a decent amount to... I, I thought he was going to be able to contribute. I thought he was going to be one of these flex guys that you can put on either side. And, you know, that was before apparently someone figured out that he can allegedly play second striker, which he can't. Um... I thought he was going to be able to contribute. I thought he was going to be valuable. Um, I got that wrong. And uh, I got Lackshot wrong, too. But, again, here we are. And, um, well, now we've learned that not only can he not do the right wing um, or the left wing, uh, but he also can't play a second striker. And uh, he really just does not belong on the pitch. Um, disregard the fact that Fabio Barini actually did make an appearance in this game, which was <laughs> shocking. Um, which, again, don't need to see. But I, I, I'm done with Cassiejo. I don't care. Um, and I know it was against Brescia. I hope that wasn't why he started. Like, I hope this wasn't a, oh, we'll just play our kids, or the backups, or the trash, or whatever we're going with now. But... I don't need to see him anymore. And 
Andre Silva starting. I mean, I think it surprised I I think it surprised you as much as it surprised me. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. I know Piontek had a bad game against Udinese, but I didn't I didn't one, I didn't need to see Andre Silva starting. Like I didn't need to look at the starting lineup and be like, "Oh good. Great. This is his chance to redeem himself, right? That here we go. This thus begins the renaissance." <laughs> of the non-existent career of Andre Silva at AC Milan. I didn't need that. Um, he was meh. He was fine. Serviceable is the word I would use. Perfect word. Um, and then uh, the next day he was sold. So, um, honestly, happy with the three points. It's really the only thing I'm happy about. I mean, I don't... There, there were some positives to take away, but I, I don't think there was that much to write home about about this game, which you know kind of sucks for the podcast. But <laughs> I mean, we'll take the points. So, yeah, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? Except ha- what, what can we say? Except Casiejo sucks, and Andre Silva was above his usual average, which is non-existent. So, like above like a three and a half <laughs> so like he was fine yeah and like the rest of just all in all it was very like yeah yeah it's about all i was expecting to be honest three points yeah exactly i mean the the expectations are so low at this point like that's just where we're at as a as a fan group now and i i mean i hope the next game we have and of course that's what leads us into an international break right yeah seriously honestly if we had swapped the results and had well actually i no i i withdraw that statement before i make it if we did that and started off with a win but then had a disaster show heading into the international break we would have heard, had to hear about the disaster show the entire international break. So I'll take the three points coming in at international break and on the high and hopefully go uphill. So th- this is where the uphill starts. So let's go with that. Positivity. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, just really quickly, it's you go into the international break on those three points and beyond that, you go in on the back of a big signing after that. So that was, I think, for me, even more momentum for Milan going into the international break. I think that was bigger than just the three points against Brescia. Um, to touch on, I so I actually um, I watched this game on replay, and I ended up with like a page and a half of notes. Uh, maybe went a little deeper than I needed to, but um, I want to start really quick with a couple of just going off the back of a couple of things. You said, obviously, starting with Castileo. I agree completely. I'm done with them. Um, I was writing things down throughout the game, and a couple times I was putting minute markers down next to what I was writing. So the first first mention of him, or one of the first mentions of him, was in the 48th minute. All I wrote was, "What does Castileo do?" And I didn't know what to write. Like I didn't know like what else to say beside that. Neither does Castileo. Yeah, exactly. And I actually underneath that, um, this was um, this was kind of ignoring that Rebic was coming in um, because obviously I was trying to watch this keeping Saturday in mind, but I knew Rebic was on his way at this point. Um, 
at this point, it felt like Castileo was both the biggest winner and the biggest loser in the Giampaolo era so far. And that sounds weird, but in terms of him being a winner, like, Giampaolo clearly liked this guy coming in. And he's been playing him in that second striker role since he came in. And it's really looked like his spot to lose, even as they've been linked to a second striker throughout the summer. It was, you know, there was this insistence on playing him there. And I, at the same time, thought he was a loser because I know he wasn't great on the wing, but he was so much better on the wing. I think that he was significantly better as a left winger last year than he was as a, than he is as a second striker. So I think that we've been talking about players who might be affected by this formation change. I think he's one of the biggest because I feel like maybe there was an opportunity for him to grow in that role that he was in last year. I don't think he has the ability to grow in this in this position and he's not going to get that opportunity out of the wing again. So that was that was my take on him. Um, and then a couple minutes later, uh, 59th minute. No, really. What does he do? I didn't write anything else about him after that. I just I was at a loss for words. He was truly that bad. Um, back to what you said about Suso Ball. I also wrote down it's still Suso Ball, but better? Question mark. Because I mean, especially now as bringing everything back to Rebic, him coming in. You're now going to have the opposite of Suso, which is going to be a right-footed player on the left side. And I think that gives you more options when it comes to the attack because everything has been that get the ball out to the right wing and then see what happens from there. Now you have you have an option on the right and an option on the left. So I think that'll really enhance the attack. But it really became Suso ball because I was watching the way... I was watching the way the attack shaped itself as they went forward. And we've been talking about what is this new formation going to look like? And how are they going to like, how are they going to adjust to not playing in that four, three, three system that they played under Gattuso? But what I was noticing, and it may have been fairly obvious to a lot of people, but I think this is how they actually broke down Brescia in the first half. And really this is how the goal came about was they would get the ball into the attacking half. Suso would go out to the right wing where he's most comfortable, not through the middle as the Trey Quartista. He'd get out to the right. Chalinolu playing in that left-sided central midfielder. Very, very incredible revelation. He's better there than as a Regista. Shocker. Just want to point that out. Uh, yeah, right? Who would have thought? that? I've, always, I've thought ever since Giampaolo came in with that left-sided midfielder, I thought that that would be a position for him or Paqueta where they would kind of fall into the attack and then Benacer and Kessier would move over and fill the gap in the midfield. And that's exactly what they did. And Chalinolu either went out to the left wing where he's been comfortable the last couple of years or he would fall in behind the strikers. And then if he was out on the wing, you would see Castileo fall back behind Piotek. So you'd still have that width on the wings. You'd have the cover in the midfield, and you'd have either Calabria or Rodriguez found more often than not it was Calabria banging down the wing uh, from the fullback position. And that's how they were able to create the goal because Suso was able to get the ball wide, get it to the line, and then it went out for a throw-in. He quickly gets the ball back. Again, 
goes goes down the line toward the toward the end line. Chalanolu comes in from the left side, is unmanned at the back post, and is able to put the header straight in. So I thought that that was, I thought that was really good shape wise from Milan. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really intelligent attacking in in the first half. Um, it'll definitely be more than a one dimensional attack going forward if they're gonna commit to playing Rebic. If they're gonna have Piotek in there, please, please, please don't ever start a player of Andre Silva's caliber above him again. Um, and I think in the second half, they were more just comfortable with that goal. We didn't really see them press forward as much. We didn't see them really go into that shape as often. And then as the game wore on, they were clearly the more fit team. They were clearly the faster team. And when Piotta came in and uh, him and Kessier were just banging through the midfield, they were able to really create a lot more chances in those final minutes. Them and Suso were able to... Nearly make it two, nearly make it three. But, you know, overall, I didn't think it was all that bad a performance from Milan for everyone except Casaleo. Um, big, 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 big Benacer fan. Um, you know, he was bossing the midfield right from the start, playing in that Regista role. Um, just who's going to get by him when he's up against you in the midfield? I don't know who. Um, he's really he's able to win the ball and then very quickly, as we've been talking about, either move it to someone behind him in a better position to create something, or he's just able to bang it forward. The way he was splitting lines, breaking down lines that Brescia had between the midfield and the attacking third, it, I was drooling. It was just, it was absolutely incredible to watch, and at times we also saw that from Castileo. So if they're two guys that are putting those balls into the attacking third from the midfield, I mean, give me that all day. And then when Bonaventura comes back healthy and he's in a position like that, um, I am all for that. And, you know, and even Paqueta, you know, I for the it was weird. As, like, the game wore on, I was watching the way uh, Chalanolu was playing. I believe I may have just said Castilejo, and I definitely met Chalanolu a little while ago when it came to him and Benacer. Um I really have been saying I prefer Paqueta to Chalanolu in that in that position in the midfield. Either of them. Like having both of them play in that position is such a luxury. And I think it's gonna end up meaning that only one of them can be on the pitch at a time, which is a shame. Uh I would prefer Paqueta. I think he's the more explosive player. I think he's more prone to creating something special. But at the same time, having both of them is such an amazing asset playing in that position to Benacer's left. I'm all for that. So overall, they were good for the win. Um, thought the defense was fine. They didn't really. They only broke down once or twice, and even when they did, it wasn't a really dangerous chance for Brescia. They just had the one chance off the really off the mishap on the on the set piece. I think that we've seen in these first couple games set piece defending will be the biggest concern. But I, I don't think it's anything they can't handle. Um, the midfield, I mean, give me like if they're going to be breaking down lines with those passes all season, I'm very here for it. Uh, Kessie is a tank. Benacer is, um, I think he's going to be extremely good in this midfield. And then, like I said, Chalanolu or Paqueta. Um, Pialtek, I want to see those last 10 minutes from him for 90 every game. I mean, I know... That's that's asking a lot, but 
I mean, he was very he was very underwhelming in that first game, and he was very underwhelming for the first few minutes he was on on Saturday. But we need to see more of what we saw after we brought him in from Genoa last year. Yeah, and just a couple more takeaways. I agree with you. Just kind of starting in the back and moving up. Defense again. I I'm gonna ditto you on this one. Not a whole lot uh, to write home about. Um, just solid, good. Um, you know, Romagnoli stud. You know, no shock. Um, Frank Kessie again. To, uh, moving up to midfield tank, uh, Benassar, great. I just really, really impressed. Really, really think we have something special in this guy if he can continue his form. Um, Sean Oglu, I agree with you. I mean, shocker, he's not a regista. He's really good in the midfield. Um, and I, I'm going to agree. It's, it's a disappointment that we can't have him and Pakita on the pitch at the same time, but if Chalunoglu is playing well on the left, I don't want to shoehorn him into the Trey Cortista role, right? If he's, Absolutely if, not. If he's on the left side of the midfield and he is thriving there, let him thrive there, right? And maybe Paqueta gets a shot at second striker. I don't know. You know, if, if, if that would work, Right, I again. I don't see these guys every day in practice. Um, I didn't have all preseason with them to figure out what positions in what system they would be, be- better at. At him, um, it's shocking that we still have some of these questions. By the way, um, <laughs> that that's the one thing that grinds my gears. I mean, here we are, two weeks into the season, right, and we're trying to figure out who should start. With multiple players healthy, right? Who should start in left mid? And if we play uh, Trey Cortista, because we don't know what our starting formation will be, who will start at Trey Cortista? Who can be second striker? Because the one we've used sucks, right? So, like, the, the fact that we still have these questions, this should have been sorted out already. Yeah. Right? This shouldn't be an issue. But... You know, okay, we have Pakatan, we have Chalanoglu. Both of them are good at left mid. So I'm, I'm, and we have Bonaventura coming back. I have no idea what we're going to do when we get Bonaventura back. An embarrassment of riches. Embarrassment of riches, except it, it feels like when you go in FIFA and you see a talented player and you buy him, right? And then you look at your team and you're like, Oh wait, how do I get all these guys on the pitch? <laughs> right? And I use FIFA as a, I know like I use FIFA as an example a lot, but that's some of the only coaching experience that a lot of us have. Yes, yeah, right? It's very relatable. I still get really excited about when I had uh Yana Carrasco and Memphis Depay on the wings for Milan. Oh my god. That electric. That's <laughs> awesome. Um but you look and you're like, okay, so we have three guys for one position. And that's not to say that you should try and figure out a change to get all three of them because Benacer is good and Kessie's good. So you got two of your three down, you got one spot, 
all right, so now what are you going to do with your other three spots on the field? Well, one of them is going to be Piontek. I don't care what, it, okay, I agree with you. Don't, don't bring Andre Silva quality players over Piontek into my house ever again. Don't, please don't do that. I was shocked that it was Silva and not Liao. If you're not going to start Piontek, start Liao. And also, if you bought Liao because Giampaolo is the one who I... Because this is like how the organization works now, right? Is And I, I'm under this impression. I hope I'm right. He wants a player. He goes to Maldini. He says, yep, sounds good. They bring it to the next level, and they go for the player. They bring in the player. Okay, you've gotten your player, right? If you don't get approval along some way, maybe he would have said, oh, maybe you should go with someone else or X, Y, or Z. Again, not in the organization. Don't know all the steps. Hopefully uh, hopefully, I nailed it. Although it does sound like what we've come to expect from this system with Maldini and Boban and Gazidis. That's, like, that sounds like what we've been led to believe is the process. So if you get Liao, I expect... That when you wanted Liao, you wanted him for an ability to play as a striker or second striker. I expect that you were not making an either-or purchase when you got Liao in here to be an either-or for Piontek. Because if that was the whole point, I am disappointed. Because you need to be able to play both of them or... You need to be able to, like, obviously you can flip-flop between the two. Like, that's, if you play one striker, you can only play one striker, got it. Neither of them are wingers. I got that. But if you're going to play two strikers, you would think that Liao would be your second guy, right? It would make sense. It would make a lot of sense because Piontek's the guy up front. But, and then you get into these questions again, right? Can Piontek play when there are two up there? Yeah, no, that's still to be seen. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sold. We had some um, adventures with Cutrone. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's true. I. It, it wasn't anything that would lead me to believe the answer was yes. I want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And Cutrone was another guy who clearly couldn't play multiples up front either. Uh, he seemed more than willing to do it and figure it out, but I, I don't think either of them were double guys that was also because he's a good boy and loves this club so much (laughs) that's true that's true and we love him dearly um but then you look okay so if you're not going to play two so that you can get piantek in his um, best position feel like we're going to be saying that a lot this season get the players in their best positions right so then if you did that why is Liao here? If his best position is one, not with a second, first of all, the second should be Liao. Second of all, shouldn't be playing with the second. Because your striker, who you're trying to thrive off of, can't thrive with two. So it's just a lot. I, I Climbing off the soapbox now. But I, I don't get how we still have these questions. So, real quick wrap, wrap up on the takeaways. Chalanoglu... I'm glad that we have. <laughs> I'm glad that we use the game to figure out his best position. 
right? I'm glad we used an actual Syria game, referring to the Udinese game, to figure out that Chalinoglu should not be anywhere but the left midfield. And I'm positive that we are going to see him play in the Trey Cortista role at least once. And it's going to be... It's either going to be really good or it's going to be a disaster. That's that's all I see. Um, moving up, Suso. Okay, here's the other thing. Suso has written himself into the lineup with an asterisk. That asterisk is, has to be on the right side. He cannot be elsewhere. Because if you look again of when he was Trey Cortista, he drifted off to the right. Here, he found himself in the right. As soon as he's on the right side, he's, I mean, Suso Ball exists for a reason, right? This whole give it to Suso and pray is because yeah, he's good. absolutely. And that's a credit to him, but everything he does is the drift off to the right. Drift up where you could put him at center back, and you would still find him drifting off to the right and swinging in crosses. All right? That's just how Suso is. <laughs> Can't fault him for it. That's his position. That's how he plays. That's his best position. We need a jar. Yeah, we need it. Yeah, that's true. We need a best position jar. Um, I dig that. Um, but this worked well for him. He's written himself into the right forward side of the lineup. Casiejo has written himself out of the starting lineup. His best position, ding, is on the bench. He doesn't belong here. He should not start. Andre Silva should not start over either of the strikers on the team. There's no reason that he should have started over Piontek, who was coming off um, an ice-cold game, or Liao, who's coming off, frankly, a, a, a decent 15 minutes. I don't know why he didn't see time in this game. Um, Piontek, I agree with you. You know, first couple minutes, it's like, oh, God, we're in for a rough season with Piontek, aren't we? But then he looked better. I'm like, okay, if we can get, if we can get more of like the end of the game out of him, we need that all 90. And then there's Paketa, who needs to be on the pitch. I mean, figure it out. And I know that we just had the conversation about the left mid. Figure out how to get Paketa on the pitch, man. I don't know if he... Can he play Trey Cortista? Can he play second striker? I have no idea. Can he do either of those things? Are we going to use a second striker or Trey Cortista? I don't know. I have no idea. I, it, when we play Verona, I genuinely have no idea what we're going to do. But, yeah, oh yeah, that'll be a great time. And, um, yeah, uh, the, the last one is uh, Barini made another appearance. And uh, so he, again, has written himself out of the starting lineup. Um, but I'm glad we have him there as a... Uh, as a uh, backup regista. So at least we have that going for us, which is nice. So now on to, now that we've wrapped up Russia, good three points, <laughs> we move on. 
Um, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to win because if we lost that game, uh, we would be in full meltdown mode on uh, the Devil Wears Rossonero. Ante Rebic is the newest addition to AC Milan, uh, having uh, sold or I guess now loaned Andre Silva. It's a two-year loan for Ante Rebic with Andre Silva going the other way for two years. And I'm going to put this out there now. I, I said early on that it was an option, and I corrected myself to say there's an obligation. There are reports saying option. There are reports saying obligation. There are also reports that there is no option or obligation at all. Uh, the statement on the website does not mention an option, um, whereas it has in the past. Um, the article on our website says no option, uh, but there are reports that there's an option at the end of the two years, or there's an obligation for 20 to 30, or it's triggered by a number of appearances or something. So I I mean, I, I genuinely don't know the answer. So for clarification, can you just go run through everything you just said again? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's just, it was, it's all over the place. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows what's going on right now. It's interesting that we have all three of our boxes checked, right? There's either an option, no option. <laughs> There's either nothing yeah. or an option or an obligation. So I'm glad that we have all three available options. I got to find another word for that. All three um I don't know a synonym for option. I've I've run, I've drawn a complete blank. Uh, really embarrassing. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. But the point is, we have them for two years. All right, we have them for two years on a loan. We'll figure it out after. So in two years, uh, if we have him, a la Frank Kessie, great. Uh, that would be the obligation option for for those of you taking notes at home. Um, that would be the obligation. Um, the option might be the most team-friendly move, honestly, because if it, if he's good, you take him. If he's not, you send him back. Um, although, God, that might require Andre Silva coming back. <laughs> oh, Jesus. In two years, Andre Silva comes back. Like, hello, fellow kids. He's only going to be 25 in two years. It feels like he's been here for 10. Yeah, well, I mean, he might as well have been for the amount, of, for the amount that we've gone through with Andre Silva. Uh, we might as well have just had him for ten years. Two years from now, he'll still fill in. He'll still fall into that uh, commitment from the club that they made this summer to focus on the youth. Yeah, Yo, yeah, true. He'll still bring the. He'll still bring a couple average ages down. Um, but yeah, I mean, so all the logistics aside of what's going to happen after this two-year loan. We have Ante Rebic for two years, 25-year-old Croatian. He can play as a winger, he can play as a striker, he can play as a second striker. He's Samu Castileo. Yeah, oh, Jesus. See, I'm... I hope not. Um, <laughs> but he... He's also blazing fast. Um, so he's actually more like Fabio Barini. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> and he can play multiple positions, just like our backup left back, Fabio Barini. So... He, but Ante Rebic from Eintracht Frankfurt, 
uh, Rebic and Silva out. Um, he has played with Croatia. Uh, he helped Eintracht Frankfurt win the German Cup um, and make it to uh, the Europa League uh, and, and help them to a very, very advanced stage of the Europa League last season, and they're in Europe again. Um, so very well done on their part. They, you will remember that they also had Luka Jovic, um, the now Real Madrid man who is somehow still in Real Madrid, even though they wanted him out after two months. Huh. Um, and uh, he could have been potential uh, Milan loney, um, but we have taken the option that we don't develop other clubs players um and passed on the reports of luka jovic uh, in favor of having fabio barini as our backup striker so um but i i am all for this rebic move and again as i said in the intro korea ended up not happening so all of you who said uh in your polls at home uh korea not happening um, y'all are our daily winners. Um, no, nothing. I mean, I have no idea what was going on at Atletico Madrid. I have no idea what we were trying to get. Um, I like that one tweet that said, you know, we walk in and they say 55 and we say 40 and they say 55 and we say 40 again and they say 55 and we say 40 again. And they say 55 and we say 25. I imagine <laughs> that was something like the negotiation because, as you can see, nothing. However, this deal makes a lot of sense. It's a position of need, clearly. A forward who can play multiple positions, who is dynamic, creative, fast as hell, by the way. Um, someone took measurements of the fastest players at the 2018 World Cup, and he is tied for top of the list with Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, we'll take that. Uh, we can we can definitely use that. Uh, from what I've seen of him, I mean, the dude will add something to the team. He definitely has uh, creativity, versatility, um, it, explosiveness. He's explosive. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I think, I mean, he's definitely an upgrade over Andre Silva. I mean, just flat out an upgrade. He's an upgrade to the squad. Um, the deal makes a lot of sense. I don't know why this didn't happen earlier. Um, not to say that he is a better player than Correa, but he seems to be a better fit than Correa would have been. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. And frankly, again... I think there was some report earlier in the summer. I swear I saw some sort of report that said Milan are looking at Ante Rebic. And then it just kind of fluttered by while we pursued Correa for the umpteenth hundredth time. And in the end, we come home with Ante Rebic, Andre Silva going the other way. Uh, Andre Silva amounted to literally nothing at AC Milan, even though we were hyped as hell. Um, even invited him on the podcast. It's true. Um, which, I mean, he's still invited. Always. Obviously, they all are. But um, he, his legacy is essentially our version of Gabby Goal. And we get Ante Rebic coming the other way. And hopefully he'll work out better. I'm sure he will. 
very low bar. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's Ante Rebic in, Silva out. When I think of the legacy of Andre Silva, I think here came this guy for all this money and all this promise. And within weeks of his debut, we realized how excited we were about Patrick Cutrone. I think that for me is what Andre Silva was at this club. And it just, it never happened for him. And he would go on loan and he'd do well in La Liga. And we'd think, maybe. Then he'd come back and in preseason we'd realize, oh, right. And it just never happened for him. And even in this game against Brescia, again, I don't know why he started, but he did. And he was serviceable. He wasn't great. He was nowhere near the 40 million player that we expected, that we wanted, that we should have had. And I one of my one of my notes that I wrote down in uh, watching this game was quote, watching Andre Silva try makes me so excited about Ante Revic. I that was my reflection on him. I mean, he was you could tell he was trying. And at times it was kind of like an aw honey kind of moment. Like you're you're doing your best, but your best is just not anywhere near what it should be. Um look, we're always we're always gonna root for him. Always. Um he's a guy that you wanna see succeed. And I do think it was kind of funny. Uh, I, I mentioned this in the AC Milan offside slack the other day that it was kind of ironic watching Andre Silva put on a jersey that had Indeed.com as a sponsor as a job search website because I feel like that's what he's been doing ever since he joined Milan was looking for a job. And so I just I always I just found that a little funny, a little ironic. I want to talk about Ante Rebic, though, because that's who we now care about way more. Um, very excited about this. This should have been number one. This should have been the priority over Angel Correa. Look, 55 million euro splash for a player like Correa. It's, it's great if it comes off, but how many times in the last few years have Milan spent way too much money, gotten absolutely nothing for a return, and then they're dealing with financial fair play troubles. So, I mean, for me, this is the move that made sense all along. You get Silva, again, out on loan. And you bring in a guy who you may or may not be tied to. We still don't know the full details on that. But if you are tied to him, it's around 25, 30 million euros after two years. And for what we've seen of this guy... That would be worth it. If we get that for two years, it's like a Frank Kessier move, as you said. And I'm completely here for that. Um, look, I was watching, I'm trying to watch some highlights of him after he, he signed with Milan. As you said, really fast, can play multiple positions. He's, you know, he's got an eye for goal, but he's also really great at creating. I really like, as I was saying earlier, he kind of gives us a mirror of Suso, where he's a right-footed player who plays on the left. And I think that that is something, if we have him and Suso next to each other, that can be such a great benefit to, to Milan because you can now create from both sides of the pitch. I feel like with, with Milan, we've seen a lot of these 1-0, 2-1 wins, really tight where they should have been scoring more, but I feel like every team knows how to defend against Milan, 
because they know that they just have to shut down Suso. But Suso's good enough where you can try to shut him down. He's still going to create that one golden chance that leads to a goal every game. So now to have two sides to attack from, I think gives a completely new dynamic to Milan's game. Um, and that should that should lead to more goals. This is a team that has already created chances this season that should have come off, haven't had as many shots of goal, didn't. I think they maybe had one against Udinese. But with... Uh, shots on goal? Yeah. Zero. Zero. Zero against Zero Udinese. Zero against Udinese. I yep. was trying to be optimistic over here, all right? Positive mental attitude. Um, I think this this will change that. Castileo has been useless. You get him off the field now. It has to be Revic. And I, again... I'm excited about the, the one thing I noticed watching these highlights, and it was kind of impressive to me. A lot of them, they were showing. So I was watching an official video from the Bundesliga that came out the other day showing off his skills. About two out of every four highlights that they would show in this three and a half minute video, they ended with a great piece of skill. They started with a horrendous first touch just a truly truly terrible first touch oh no but what i was really impressed with was you know he was able to recover after that bad touch and again he's like suso he's right up against the line most of the time and he's able to recover from that touch and he's able to make something out of it and you know so I would say be prepared to be really nervous for a few seconds, but then realize that he is capable of creating something out of nothing and will take, he'll go right at defenders. He'll take them on. He is an imposing presence. He's, he's fast, but he's also fairly strong. So I'm really excited to see how this goes. I mean, we can't, we can't say anything with certainty, especially at our club. Like we, we have to have trust issues. It's what's, been the norm over the last few years but if we get anything near what the expectation should be for Rebic I think he's a guy who makes this even more of a of the front runner for fourth place because I also should say in these first two weeks we've seen Roma we've seen Lazio they've been decent I haven't seen either of them prove that they are the clear front runner for fourth and now in the days since our second game, we've now gotten better. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this plays out. Yeah, I I mean I, I can't agree with you more. I think this is it's an exciting I think exciting is the best word for it. And and while we're talking about transfers, let's put a bow on the transfer market um, and let's get a grade on the transfer market as Milan try to pursue a top-four finish um, in Rafael Leao from Lille, Teo Hernandez from Real Madrid, Benacer from Empoli, Duarte from Flamengo, Krunic also from Empoli, Rebic from Frankfurt, and then out the door would be Cutrone to Wolves, um, Gustavo Gomez to Palmeiras, and Lackshalt to Torino, uh, as well as Silva to Eintracht Frankfurt. 
and Zapata to Genoa. Um, there are a couple others. Uh, Locatelli, uh, his move became official to Sassuolo. Um, sad. Um, and then, you know, there are more like Halilovic, who, friendly reminder, he was a body that was on the team. And uh, the Frank Kessie deal became official. So Liao, Hernandez, Benacer, Duarte, Krunic, Rebic, uh, in, and Cutrone, Lakshalt, and Silva, out. Uh, so what is your grade for AC Milan's transfer window 2019? So I've been thinking about this. I am stuck between a B and a B plus. I'll, I'll go B plus because I think they made some really good signings without going too crazy in the spending. Um, when you look at the total spending for this summer, it was 106 million euros with only 35.5 in profits, but also 24 of that was the Frank Kessie deal. Um, so now having him permanently is is great. Teo Hernandez is a really good signing. Hopefully he's healthy soon. I think he'll be – he could potentially be an upgrade on Ricardo Rodriguez at left back. I, that game the other day I was thinking, man, Teo Hernandez would be way more explosive in this situation or that situation. Um, I think the best signing of the summer is absolutely Benacer. I think he's going to be fantastic. I, I like the Leo Duarte and Rafael Leao signings. I, I think Rada Krunic will end up proving to be a good supplemental midfielder. Um, he provides depth. That'll be really important in the weeks and months to come. And obviously now bringing in Rebic. I, I give it a B plus mainly though because they did all this. They got the targets that they needed to fill out a Gianpaolo team. And more importantly, they held on to Suso. They held on to Donnarumma. They held on to Kessier. I think that, for me, is the big reason why I rate this transfer market so high. They improved the squad with the players they brought in. And they didn't lose anyone of significance. I mean, they're, we've been hearing talk about, about the possibility that Suso goes. Or Kessier goes to the Premier League. Or Donnarumma goes to PSG, and I've, you know, I've never really been, I've never really thought that that was actually going to happen. But at the same time, you know, I, you always expect the unexpected in the transfer market, and what would have happened if we had lost them? I mean, I, I think this team could have potentially fallen apart without three key players like that. Uh, even though we've talked about what Suso's role is going to be in this team, I think he is a very important player, especially right now. So mainly the reason this transfer market was such a success was that they held on to those key guys. Yeah, I mean, spot on for me. Honestly, I think we'll start with the people we kept, right? I'm, I'm going to piggyback off what you said. Keeping Donnarumma is priceless. Um Keeping Romagnoli, frankly, is priceless. True. Um, and True. I, you, Romagnoli is the most important player on our team um, because Donnarumma, at the very least, you could. 
I guess, limp through with Pepe Reina, or you could get Plitzari in there, or, you know, you could figure it out, right? I'm, I'm not devaluing the goalkeeper here, but you could get through with Pepe Reina if you needed to, if you absolutely needed to. That said, the fact that we hung on to Donnarumma, great. The fact that we hung on to Romagnoli, who, frankly, I'm afraid of losing every single window, is absolutely beyond compare. The dude is our most valuable player. The dude is our captain for a reason, and he deserves every amount of praise he gets as one of the best defenders in the country. Uh, that is no exaggeration. I think we all know that by now. Nowhere near an exaggeration. He is, I was just going to say, he. the only way he leaves is to a club that is quote-unquote bigger than Milan right now. If Milan had not fallen off in these last few years, still considered among the European giants, you would be hearing about Alessio Romagnoli as one of the absolute best center backs in the world with maybe only Virgil van Dijk ahead of him. I mean, he is easily, easily a top five center back in the world right now. Oh, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. And I, you know, the one, like, there are people who have no knowledge of the Italian league um, who will dismiss that. Um, and frankly, if they're listening to the podcast, I'd be shocked. Um, but those are the people who say something ridiculous like Cassie wouldn't start at Wolves if they had bought him. I almost just spit out my water. Um, I was told that. Someone told me that. And I said, you've never actually watched Frank Cassie, have you? <laughs> um, and then he gave me the name of a backup midfielder on Wolves who would start over him. Uh, Please tell me it was Dendonker. Uh, it was not. He actually did not name Dendonker, um, who was the one I was expecting him to name. He named, I, I actually have to look this up now, uh, because I have no idea who they said. All right, first team squad, uh, Morgan Gibbs-White. What? Yeah, he said Morgan Gibbs White would start over Frank Kessie. Who's that? And I watch I watch the Premier League every week. That's my job. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea who this dude is. He is 19 years old. Uh, he is a defensive midfielder and he is an England U21 player. And according to um, a Brit he would start over Frank Kessie for Wolves. British football exceptionalism is one of the most unbelievable phenomenons I've ever experienced. Yeah, so so that is something, and I, I am not, I, I, I know, um, I hope that everyone listening is as shocked as I was, but that is something I was actually told. That That is, I swear I'm not making this up. Anyway... You know, that the, someone who would say that would also probably say, well, Romagnoli is just starting for AC Milan. How good can he be? Uh, pretty good. Pre pretty darn good. So keeping Donnarumma, great. Keeping Romagnoli, who I'm afraid of losing all the time, even better. Uh, keeping, frankly, 
Um, I'm getting to the point of being afraid of losing Pakita. Um, it's not, it, it wasn't going to happen this summer, but get ready. It's coming. Same with Piontek. It's get ready. It's coming. They're going to have to decide. Uh, keeping Suso and Kessie look, I know that there are better players in the world than them, but in the squad at their positions, there are not better players. All right. Kessie is invaluable in that midfield, especially given the lot we have, right? No one else in the team can play that position as well as he can. They would have had to do a lot to get someone better than him or to fill that spot. It wasn't going to happen, which is why when they were potentially going to sell him to Wolves to apparently sit behind Morgan Gibbs-White, whoever that is, um, I was very, very adamant that Kessie should stay. He did. I think that's addition by non-subtraction. <laughs> I, I love it. Which is literally the definition <laughs> of addition. <laughs> anyway, and same for Suso. You look at who you can also put on that side. Um, there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot of people you can plug in at that spot. Keeping him was far more important than I think everyone thought it was going to be. Um, the departures, frankly, the ones we did sell, I'm all right with all of them. Given what we have now, I'm I'm good. I mean, Cutrone, love the kid. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with him going. Uh, Silva, more than fine with him going. And uh, Lackshalt, more than fine with him going. So I'm, you know, all good. Especially with that option to buy oh, 11 and a half million. That, yeah. I mean, the, I guess the bad part is, though, we spent more than that on him. So we're yeah. losing money on that year on Lackshalt. But, I mean, all, all in, I mean... Well, we spent 15 or 18 on him, and we're going to get 11 back, hopefully, from Torino. Yeah, that, that fine. You know, we'll we'll move on. We'll call that a bust, but he's not... It's a lightly used rebuy. Yeah, I mean. and, and he's not a Silva, Gabigol-level bust. But um, And as for the additions, Liao, Hernandez, Benacer, Duarte, Krunic, Rebic. Um... From the bottom up, Duarte, good depth um, at a center back. Basically, it was Zapata out, Duarte in. Fine. Good. Uh, Promising young center back. Uh, We can use that uh, positive addition in my mind. Krunic, a good midfielder who is good depth for us. Uh, In that case, um, it's pretty much... um, What's his name? Midfielder who was supposed to be super good, but is uh, Maori. Um, it was basically <laughs> super good exaggeration. But Maori out, Krunich in? Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. We're, you know, that's, again, good depth. He's not, he's, he's pretty, I mean, 25 isn't young, but, like, it's pretty young. Uh, so we'll take that. Teo Hernandez, I like that competition with 
Ricardo Rodriguez. Let them see who the better left back is. I I believe that they he will add to the team, and I like that addition a lot. It's a shame he got hurt so early. Um, I like that. Uh, Rebic, as we went over, great addition. Excited to see him and what he can add to the team. Um, Liao, exciting. Hopefully we get to see him more. I'm not really happy with only seeing him for 15 minutes so far, um, but excited about him. And when you look at that, it's basically Cutrone out, Liao in. By usage, right? I'm good with that. I'm I'm good with that. I'm excited to see him, and I, I want to see him more, um, frankly. And then there's Benacer, who's the addition of the summer. Um, we've raved about him already. He's great. Um, he's impressed all of his time on the field so far. He is a lock for the starting lineup at this point already, um, and I can't wait to see more of him. Great, great, great addition. Um, I'm going with a B plus as well. Um, I, 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 I mean, I just can't give them an A something. Um, I, I don't think this is an A minus kind of deal. Uh, it's bordering, but I'm gonna go with the B plus. Um, strengthened by the fact that we did not sell important pieces. Um, so those are our transfer window grades. Um, let's get a quick wrap up on the international window uh the international break that we are currently in and then we'll get to one more pressing piece of news before we wrap um so just for the international break so that everyone is on the same page european qualifiers are in full swing so some of the matches actually do mean things um and then friendlies are for the rest of us, um, i.e. the U.S. are going to play Mexico on Friday in a meaningless friendly. Meanwhile, um, just about half, if not more, of the team of the Milan players called up, of which there are 15, um, are for Euro qualifiers. So, um, just to rattle them off, Italy. Uh, Donnarumma and Romagnoli uh, against Armenia and Finland. Chalanoglu is with Turkey to play Andorra and Moldova. Krunic for Bosnia will play Liechtenstein and Armenia. Um, you know, all of these, of course, are banging games. All right, all of these, of course, are important. Uh, Piontek for Poland against Slovenia and Austria. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez for Switzerland against the Republic of Ireland and Gibraltar. That Ireland game is one of the three best of the break, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Switzerland, Ireland. I actually think that's that's like a genuinely decent game. Uh, Ante Rebic, uh, fresh off his flight to Italy from Germany will now go to Croatia to play Slovakia. And Azerbaijan, uh, Suso, will rejoin, his, will rejoin the Spanish team and play Romania and the Faroe Islands. Um, banger of a game, that. 
um, Benacer, uh, Kessie, and Paqueta um, are also called up. Benacer for Algeria versus Benin. Uh, Kessie for Ivory Coast against Benin. And uh, Tunisia and Paqueta for Brazil against Colombia and Peru. And that Colombia is also one of the big games, even though it's a friendly. Um, that is actually going to be in Miami. And the Peru game for Brazil is going to be in L.A. Uh, those are friendlies. Uh, Liao will be in the Portugal U21s against Gibraltar and Belarus. And then, funny enough, here now we're getting into the non, like, super familiar players. Okay, so bear with me. Gabia, his first call-up for Italy's U21s for Moldova and Luxembourg in Euro 2021 qualifying. And then uh, Mionic uh, for Croatia uh, against Russia and France. Uh, that is, I believe, the U19s. And then our boy Daniel Maldini uh, for the Italy U19s against Netherlands and Switzerland. Go on, Prince. In, in friendly. So our boy. And, I mean, frankly, like, that's the most exciting thing out of all of this. I, I have no takes on the international break. It's too early uh, for takes or really, like, that super level of excitement. Uh, hopefully everyone has a good, you know, <laughs> I just hope everyone has fun <laughs> and comes back healthy. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't, otherwise, I mean, I hate to sound boring, but like, I, I, I don't have a take on the international break bars, but, um, I just hope everyone comes back healthy and I hope Daniel Maldini balls out and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm all I'm here for the Daniel Maldini balling out. I'll I'll give you one one take for the international break, and it's about Italy, who we love to talk about, obviously. Um, look, that's where I think Milan and I should be. Um, of course, you want to watch Rebic with Croatia. You want to see how everyone else is doing, but there's now this opportunity in the Italian team with our two of our three Italian starters. Romagnoli and Donnarumma will be in the team and obviously the net is Donnarumma's it's it's gonna be his Buffon is gone that is Gigi Donnarumma's net that center back pairing in front of him is now up for grabs and especially with Chiellini tearing his ACL this week Alessio Romagnoli step right up he can really become a key fixture in this Italian team. And as I said, he's one of the best center backs in the world. I think he has an opportunity to prove that with Italy and let the two of them lay the groundwork for when Mattia Caldara gets healthy and Mattia Caldara gets into the Milan 11 and proves that he's deserving of getting back into the Italian team. And then when you come into Euro 2020, you're going in with Donnarumma and Net and Romagnoli and Caldara in front of him. I'm here for that trio. And, I mean, hey, throw Calabria in it right back. I'm all for that too. But to have that backbone of the goalkeeper and the two center backs, the way Juventus have had in the national team for years, 
I'd love to have that. I yeah. I mean, I am I'm all for that. Uh and I wish I wish all of our Rossoneri the best in their um in their international breaks and again hope everyone comes back healthy that that's like the main goal here everyone come back healthy um so that we don't uh have a rocky re-entry against verona and then inter so um that'll be a good time speaking of inter so this is the last thing this is what we're going to close on and it's going to take a here's minute our rage yeah, rant. here's our rage filled rant so you may have heard of the Kervin Nord statement about the Lukaku racial abuse uh, in the intermatch on the road against Cagliari. Uh, for those of you who have not heard, uh, Ramelu Lukaku, comma, who is black, comma, um, was subject to monkey chants at Cagliari Stadium as he approached a penalty. Uh, this is the same stadium that has history of racially abusing black players, such as Moise Keane, Mario Balotelli, um, Muntari, Samuel Eto'o. Uh, the list goes on. The problem is there are more than I remember off the top of my head, right? There, this has been going back for almost a decade, um, and as recently as last year, last season, uh, this year. Pre last season. Um, so the Curva Nord, the Inter Supporters Group, made a statement. I'm going to read it. Um, I know, you know, if, if you don't want to hear the reading, you can skip ahead about a minute um, and I'll be done with it. But this is the statement on behalf of the Curva Nord. This is actual, this is a real non parody thing. Hi, Ramelu. We are writing you on behalf of Curva Nord. Yes, the guys who welcomed you at your arrival in Milan. We are really sorry you thought that what happened in Cagliari was racist. You have to understand that Italy is not like many other North European countries where racism is a, all caps, real problem. We understand that it could have seemed racist to you, but it is not like that. In Italy, we use some, quote, ways only to, quote, help our teams and to try to make our opponents nervous, not for racism, but to mess them up. We are a multi-ethnic fans organization, and we have always welcomed players from everywhere. However, we have always used that, quote, way with other teams' players in the past, and we probably will in the future. We are not racist, and so are not the Cagliari fans. You have to understand that in all Italian stadiums, people cheer for their teams, but at the same time, they use to cheer against their opponents, not for racism, but to, quote, help their own team. Please consider this attitude of Italian fans as a subject of respect for the fact they are afraid of you for the goals you might score against their teams and not because they hate you or they are racist. True racism is a completely different story, and all Italian football fans know it very well. When you declare that racism is a problem to be fought in Italy, you just help the repression against all football fans, including us, and you contribute to create a problem that is not really there, 
not in the way that is perceived in other countries. We're very sensitive and inclusive with all people. We guarantee you that in our organization there are many fans of different races or fans coming from other parts of Italy that also use this ways to prov pr provocate? Pr provocate, yeah. Provocate, okay. Um, uh, in English we say provoke um, their opponents even when they have the same races or are coming from the same areas. Please help us to clarify what racism really is and that Italian fans are not racist. The fight to real racism has to begin in schools, not in the stadiums. Fans are just fans, and they behave in different ways when inside the stadium as opposed to when they are in real life. I guarantee you that what they say or do, what they do or say to an opponent player of another race is not what they would ever say to someone would they meet in real life. Italian fans may not be perfect, and we can understand your frustration with this expressions, but they're definitely not meant to be racist. Once again, welcome, Romero. <laughs> oh, I, I don't mean to laugh. That, the stupid statement that I have ever heard the... in my life. I could not believe what I was reading. I read this, and I saw it retweeted, and I had to read it multiple times. And the, every time I read it, it just becomes more and more ridiculous. And first of all, the most obvious one, right? I, well, no, not the most obvious one, because there are a lot of obvious things here. So I'm not going to... There's a lot of tied for first, most obvious A lot of right tied here. for first. The name of the team is literally Internazionale. It's literally international. And can we also point out that that is legitimately the origin of of inter milan is that they divided from milan because there were people within the club who had disagreements about bringing in foreign players and those who were on the pro foreign player side created the club that lukaku now plays for but according to the curva nord um who they keep touting the we are a multi-ethnic organization. Um, so excuse me while this is just a version of we have black friends, right? Um, this is just absolutely shocking to me. The way they use, we use some ways to help our teams and to make opponents nervous. Um, sorry you thought it was racist. That's the, that, like... That's the petty way of when you piss someone off, but you don't think they should have been pissed off. So you say, sorry you were offended by what I said, or sorry you thought what I said was rude. You know, <laughs> we have always welcomed players from everywhere. And then literally... um a couple sentences later no sorry one sentence later in the same paragraph is we are a multi-ethnic fans organization of always welcome fans from everywhere the next sentence is we have always used that way with other teams players in the past that we probably will in the future so they're not racism is racism is racism is racism doesn't matter what your objective is i don't get and also <laughs> I love the resorting to this is what we do to freak out our opponents, deal with it, instead of, hmm, perhaps we should find other ways to irritate our opponents. 
Yeah. Right? So... If you need to resort to racism to distract the opposing team... Maybe players, you're a racist. Yeah. You're a racist. And if you're saying that that's the only way that you can distract players, you're be a better fan. Yeah. You're, I you're, mean, be a better fan by not being racist, but also, like, and just, how dumb are you? Like, just that don't be a terrible person. Like, yeah. that's the that's the other thing is, um, <laughs> I guarantee you what they say to an opponent player of another race is not what they would ever say to someone when they meet in real life. That's the paragraph I was going to point out. Yeah! To, like, to me, that sentence right there, you can, you can condense it. And what they should have written, what they really meant is, we see football players as objects, not people. Yep. Yeah, that that that's just blatant. That is that's what I read. This when you were reading, I couldn't get this far the first time I started reading this. I got maybe three or four lines in, and then I almost threw up. Um, when you just read that sentence, I was that was exactly how I read it. Oh yeah, I mean it absolutely because I mean like I I get that people yell stuff at players, right? I get that, but. There is a difference between, hey, Romelu, you suck. And (laughs) things that I'm not going to say, right? And that I cannot bring myself to say at all. I like the very sensitive and inclusive thing that they say. Because, like, right there, you think that they might be... You think that if you took that part out, right, and started with that, you might have thought they were about to just absolutely destroy the Cagliari fans, right? If they had started with, we're very sensitive and inclusive with all people, right? And then they just went the complete opposite way. The fact that they started with the, we're sorry you thought that was racist, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And I mean, this is the whole problem. This is it. The, the, like, the fact that they think this is okay, the fact that they think that this is defensible, so, I mean, I, I, got, I got two things. One, I went to the University of Maryland, go Terps as always, and I went to many, 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 many soccer games. That was my favorite event to go to. As That was my favorite sporting event outside of basketball games. Hands down. Yeah. As, as the former leader of the men's soccer student section at UConn, go Huskies. I completely agree with that, and I... It was, I've been thinking about that as we've been talking about this. As um, football teams that have both had Randy Edsel as head coach, yeah, we have sworn that off. Oh um, no, baby, my <laughs> our boys. So I I would go to all these soccer games, and our student section is, I mean, it is second best in the country, is first best in the country, and <laughs> we, I mean. You know, a lot comes at these players. You know, you don't get a break. All right. And I mean, I've heard a lot. Um, people, you know, I've heard phone numbers chanted. I've heard family names. Girlfriends names, mainly. Like girlfriends names, dogs names. Right. Like all ex- things that are accessible through the magical wonders of social media eye roll but and like are those okay no but what never ever 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 happened 
was one, and this was actually impressive, no swearing. They said, look, it's, quote unquote, it's a family friendly atmosphere while they chanted the person's phone number, right? But they didn't swear at the person. So they'd say you suck, but they would never yeah. curse at the person. And two, they would never do anything racial. Never. Right? So the, the only thing that even comes close is um, when the kid from Spain came in, any chant that we would do someone else would then follow it up immediately with the same chant in Spanish. Yeah. Which I kind of thought was funny, right? But that's not a you are black, ergo, you know, let me make monkey noises at you. It's shocking, right? The line that people are willing to cross when it seems like in many other places... This is clearly established as a line, right? England has these problems. But every time this happens, like, I don't know, um, Chelsea fans have done this before, right? So every time that happens, Chelsea makes a statement, like, immediately. And they're like, all right, how many times do we have to tell you people this is wrong? And, like, we're not okay with this. We're going to hunt you down and we're going to kick you out of the stadium. This isn't okay, right? Now, is it handled perfectly? Absolutely not. It isn't anywhere. But the fact that a real fans group, this is a real fan group, like this is the official, they're, like, they're, they're sanctioned by the club. They get tickets for discounts. They're let in early. They get access that other people don't. And they're getting, they just basically said, in Italy, we do racist chants, deal with it. I went to the San Siro. I've been to a Milan derby. I've been there. All right. I sat above the curvasud, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. But at the end, when Mario Balotelli came on under coach Sinisa Mihailovic, all right, it was this game. It was a Freddy Guarin 1 0 game. That was, that was it. And Mario Balotelli came on, and I heard monkey chants. And I heard, and it, it's shocking. I mean, like, it, it brings goosebumps every time I think about it. But, like, I heard the monkey chants, which I'm not going to imitate or repeat, but I could hear them. It wasn't all in unison. It wasn't everybody at once. It was an inter-home game, though. All right, so, I mean, there are 80,000 seats in the place. 70,000 were interfans. There were monkey chants, all right? And I heard it, and I was like, no, please no. And I looked around, and I turned around, and I saw a guy, and I looked him in the eye as he did the monkey chants. And he was a guy that must have been maybe two years older than me. I was 20, all right? He couldn't have been older than 24 doing these monkey chants. And it was like, it was genuinely upsetting. So I tweeted that some Inter fans were chanting monkey chants at Mario Balotelli. 
I got a retweet from at Hold the Milan, our good friend Hold the Milan, um, and I proceeded to get a couple just like actually shocking responses. Uh, one of them was he has provoked interfans in the past. This is what we do. One of them was um, along the same lines, like he's provoked us, he's done stuff that's pissed us off. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not sure if I blocked them or not. Um, so it was hard to find the tweet. But it said, basically, uh, he has provoked us into acting this way. You don't know anything about soccer or calcio or football, whatever he said. Go back to watching baseball, you stupid American. Obnoxious. So when I saw, like, I saw this in person, and I'm not saying, like, all right, I, I am a, <laughs> I'm a white male, all right? I don't get discriminated against a lot. I don't. I haven't experienced this. I can't. It's it's an experience that I cannot directly relate to. Same. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it's like to be subjected to that. Right. But I can tell you that as a person who I don't know isn't a fan of racism or discrimination, that bothered me a lot that that was happening. And I just tried to say, this is happening. And then interfans, some interfans, were coming at me and adding me, saying, like, defending it, and saying that I was wrong, and defending that Balotelli had deserved it. And... Then I was like, okay, like something is really, something's really, really wrong here. And now the, the Curve of Nord comes out with this. And I, I have no idea. I mean, if you're the FIGC or you're UEFA or FIFA or whatever body is allegedly supposed to combat this, right? I have no idea what you do. Like, I mean, the, the go-to is empty stadium. Right? Yes. They do that all the time, empty stadium. But, I mean, I think we're past the point of that working. But you also, I'm not sure if you can, I mean, I'm, I'm still waiting on Inter. Has, has Inter made a statement yet? I haven't seen one. Am I missing? I haven't seen anything. And unfortunately, um, this is part of the problem, too. I mean, this has been a problem for years, as you said, and it continues to be a really deplorable problem that mars italian football and how often do we see i honestly and no no bias intended here whatsoever i think the only time we've seen a team truly take a stand against one of their players being attacked was milan oh yeah when they stood with uh Bota. yeah i yep. i i haven't seen anything else i we obviously immediately after the Moise Ken game last year, you had Benucci coming out and both siding it. Um, you had Allegri say pretty much nothing. Inter haven't said a thing. Yeah, and Juve took their time crafting a very 
um, political, as in very non-stance-taking statement about the Moise Keene thing. They didn't really say a whole lot as a club. And it's just shocking to me that Italy, like, it's, it's time and time again, right? So someone gets, this happens to someone, and Lukaku came out immediately and was like, this isn't okay. Like, I just went through this. This isn't okay. And everyone in the footballing world is on his side. And I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. At the AC Milan offside, we stand with Romelu Lukaku. I mean, it's not a whole lot, right? It's not, I mean, we're just a bunch of guys on an SB Nation blog, right? The, the baseline, the simplest thing should be to be able to say racism, sexism, sexism transphobia, homophobia, and xenophobia but in xenophobia and religious bias are not okay like you should be against like saying that you that we are all we are all people we're all one people it shouldn't be that hard like and especially for a club and the club that the guy plays for like it i don't understand why it's this difficult i just i can't fathom it and I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to our, um, I don't know, sibling blog or cousin blog or partner blog. I don't, I don't know really our true relationship with them. But the Serpents of Madonina, um, which is the inter blog on SB Nation, at Serpents of Inter. Um, if you'd like to check out their work, um, they put a piece out on the racist abuse um, they've, they've been retweeting it all day. Uh, it's from their writer, uh, Ollie Connolly at Ollie, O-L-L-I-E Connolly, C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y. I'm going to give him, uh, credit. He also writes for the Guardian, uh, which I did not know. Um, but he wrote a really good piece saying time for Syria to take drastic action against racism. And the quote that I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but check it out. Seriously, it's good. Um, fines are not enough anymore. Armbands are not enough. Media campaigns are not enough. They do nothing to move the needle on these cave dwellers. And so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, um, that, and I mean, there's more. Um, there is a, you know, they, they put out the piece from him in tweet form like in picture form as well and um they said here's our piece on the racist abuse Ramelu Lukaku um suffered on Sunday night in tweet form no one here supports the ultra statement and there's a thread and so we at AC Milano side obviously stand with Serpents of Madonina and Ramelu Lukaku and everyone in the footballing world who actually thinks discrimination is wrong and abhorrent and deplorable and terrible and wrong. And uh, if you disagree, right, if you if you think it's okay, then uh, kindly, kindly bleep off, uh, unsubscribe to our podcast and never come back. Because if you think that this sort of thing is acceptable or defensible or moderately okay, that you can use someone's race as a weapon or a tool against them because that's what this was right you're using their race as 
a negative against them in a sporting event, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean that much, right? Um, then you're not welcome. And I think SB Nation is pretty united on that, right? I think SB Nation is pretty straightforward Absolutely. in that if you think the whole discrimination thing is okay, if you think if if you think the monkey chants against Lukaku weren't racist, turn us off. You can find somewhere else because you're not welcome here. You're not welcome on our site. You're not welcome on our Twitter, and you can find somewhere else. Because we don't want you here. Because we have better things to do. We have better things to do than have our content for the team that we have a passion of to be read by deplorable people like that. And shocking people. And it's shocking that we're even having to talk about it. I mean, this came out and I, I genuinely was in shock. So, again, and just one more time to drive it home. If you're listening and you think it's okay, first of all, it's not, and you should get help. And second of all, buzz off, because we don't want you here. But if you stand with us and you stand with Lukaku and you stand with Serpents of Madonina and you stand with all, all of us, right? Just keep on fighting the good fight, and I would say the only thing that we can do, right, is if, it's, I mean, it sounds cliche, right? If you see something, say something, right? You, it can be as much, as little as telling someone, bro, you know that's not cool, right? Like, bro, you gotta stop. And, and doing whatever action you believe is appropriate from there, whether that is disassociating with the person if you know them, or calling authorities or you know letting someone know you know action on our part in some way whatever way is better than nothing it'll help and not to jump in i mean you are speaking the truth completely to that see something say something point that is probably the only reason why right now there is a sliver of chance that those Calgary fans, those shameful fans, and the club who has continued to do nothing about this are possibly going to face any form of punishment because I'm looking at those intertweets, those Serpents of Madanina tweets right now, and one of them is a video from inside the stadium, inside the Sardinia Arena where the noises are clear as day. And for those of us who watched the match, they were clear as day before he took clear. that penalty. Yep. And very well done by the World Feed play-by-play -play commentator to completely ignore the fact that he scored and to just drive home that it is 2019 and that we are still happy. He just completely forgot about the goal for a minute and just went off. And... Now, apparently, according again, according to Nikki Bandini on the Serie Awesome podcast, said that there are always officials in the stadium for every match. The Italian Federation, Serie A, they send officials to every match to watch out for things like this. And apparently, they didn't hear them. 
And you know what? That's entirely understandable. Uh, In the stadium, uh-huh. it can uh-huh. be loud. I, I Antonio Conte said he didn't hear them. He's farther away. He's focused on other things. I, I can kind of understand that. But so for some reason, they didn't hear these. For whatever reason, they didn't hear these horrible things. But because people spoke up and because their fans realized that they needed to record that this is an actual thing that's happening, that's why we might actually see some justice from this. And it needs like we need yeah. to keep on this, whether it's at the Sardinia Arena and whether I really hope this never happens when Milan are playing at the San Siero and heaven forbid this ever comes from the Curva Sud. I obviously expect far more. I I don't even want to think about that possibility. But I will say that we would absolutely be saying even worse about the Curva Sud than we're saying oh, yeah. about the Curva Nord right now. We would spend a full yeah. hour telling them to just completely, as you said, kindly yeah, buzz off. Yeah. Um, it's going to take more of this. And it's going to take constant pressure from players, from fans, from everyone to say this is not okay. And I don't understand why it continues to be acceptable in not just not just Italy. I mean, these these closed-door bands... I mean, they're they're helpful in a way because they drive home the fact that this is something that's happening, but it continues to happen. And again, to quote the commentator from the match the other day, it's 2019. How can this continue to happen? What can we do to stop it as just people of the world? And I think that's that's something we need to be talking about. Yeah, and I mean the last the last thing I'll say about it is um, to the Italian Federation, who have done their very best to ignore it, uh, to UEFA, who does their best job of delegating it, and to FIFA, who does their best job of pretending they don't care. Uh, It's time for something. Because the time for nothing is gone. We're done with that. It clearly, the nothing thing, shocker, it doesn't work. So let's move past that, and let's actually give something a shot. And if it's a closed-door thing, I mean, that's the minimum for me now. Because that's just the go-to. It's like, yeah, you'll play next game in an empty stadium. But that... I, I will be interested also to hear what Inter has to say about that. Because I would love for Inter to come out and be like, we are appalled by what the Curva Nord had to say. If they came out with the statement that basically said, what are you people thinking? What is wrong with you? I'd respect them, I mean, umpteen times more. I, I would think in a... With stuff like this, I don't think there should be a first warning, second warning, then you're in timeout. Oh, no, it's a strikeout. Yeah. I would love for Inter to come out and sanction the Curva Nord for this just blatantly horrendous response that completely insults not just Lukaku, but any player of color. Oh, like, yeah. It's all of it. It's everyone. Sem- it's, it's insulting to so many. Like, they think that this is a one-track thing. But it's so much more that, you know what they should do? 
and I'll speak it into existence. It's not going to happen. My confidence level is so low. But you know what they should do, right? They should ban the Curvin Nord from the Milan Derby. Yes. They should keep him out for the next game and the Milan Derby. So the Curva Sud will be there with their banners and everything, and the Curvin Nord will be empty. And that'll be a message. And I think that would be a significant message. And that would be a message to the world because the Milan Derby is watched everywhere. International, yep. Yep, just like the name of the club, International. Um, I So that's just my idea. It's a little, it's a small solution to a huge problem. It's a small step, but I mean, we got to do something here. So I'm glad that we were able to talk about that. I'm sad that we had to, um, but it's significant. And, you know, I hope that we will not be talking about it later, um, but I'm afraid we will. Yeah. Unfortunately, I thought the turning point was during that friendly a few years ago when Boateng walked off the field and Nigel De Jong said he would do the same and Sully Montari and all those guys and nothing. And here we are. And I here mean, we are. It was almost a decade ago when Samuel Eto said that he didn't want his family to come to watch him play in Italy because of what he went through. And so you'd think that if any club could appreciate the sensitivity of this, it would be Inter after that. And I, I don't know. I, I got, I got nothing. More. Yeah. I, yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's, it's just, it's shocking that we stopped to do this, but I mean, hopefully, you know, positivity podcast, maybe something will change and maybe, you know, something will spur these people to get a little bit of help and get a clue and, you know, we'll be in a better place than we were last week, or maybe, I don't know, maybe something will, maybe something will change. You know, but we can, we can hang on to that, and in the meantime, we'll do what we can. Uh, on that note, thanks a lot for listening to the latest and greatest edition of the AC Milan Offsides official podcast, The Devil Wears Ross and Arrow. Uh, Tim, thanks a lot for joining me. It's been a blast as always. Really looking forward to breaking down the Verona game in the next episode. Sounds good to me. Happy international break, everybody. Yeah, happy international break indeed. (laughs) Enjoy the games, uh, the ones that matter and the ones that don't matter. But for the staff of the AC Milan Offside and for Tim, I'm Patrick. Thanks a lot for listening. At Sol underscore P, at SPN Rossinero is where you can find our stuff. ACMilan.theoffside.com is where you can find our stuff. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week.